There is nothing in the world like building a business and raising children. Your business becomes an additional child that you're nurturing as you're nurturing your human children. Mm -hmm. And that's one reason why moms make incredible entrepreneurs because they're so good at that balancing act. This is not your average business podcast because here we are going to discuss how you hit your goals without losing yourself, your values, or your relationships along the way. We believe in the whole person versus the long-term hustle approach and demonstrating to our children what living a life full of purpose is truly about. We're here for the woman who is an aspiring entrepreneur, developing her personal brand, and staying open to the opportunities that come before her. We're here for the woman yearning to find businesses that align with her, her core being, so she can feel in alignment with her life. Come on this journey with us as we navigate this very full season and pursue a life we love. Are you feeling stuck? Are you searching for a greater purpose? Are you craving connection? Perfect. You are in the right place and we're excited to get you one step further than you are today. Hafsa, I am so excited to have you here. I was first introduced to you via Tyler McCall's The Online Business Show. During that interview, you added so much value that I knew that I had to get you on pursuing her purpose. I love the message that you gave that day, and I really cannot wait for you to open up with our audience about creating an online business. You are a digital branding strategist, and just like me, you've done many things that I cannot wait for you to dive into. But first, please introduce yourself for our audience. Hi, everyone. Amy, thank you so much for having me. So like you said, I'm a digital branding strategist. I focus specifically on websites and branding for female entrepreneurs, helping them show up online that reflects, you know, their passion, their purpose, their mission. And it's, you know, like I've had a winding journey to get here, but it's something I absolutely love doing. And it's just, you know, one of those things where I'm like, every time I build a website and we deliver it to a client and they're like, oh my gosh, now I can raise my prices because my branding and my website reflect just how good I am. I feel so good when they say that. Well, yeah, you're literally making their dream come true because not everyone has that skill set. There are so many women listening that are mothers and business owners just like us, or they're thinking of starting a business. A huge part of our listenership is in those shoes where they are thinking about starting something because they are seeking more purpose. The good news is there's people like you and I that are ready to help them sort this out. So today we're going to talk about the four different online businesses that women could start and start really soon. So I would love if you started by breaking those down for us and also share your experience with each of them. Yeah. So, I mean, I've had a super winding journey, like I said, right? My first foray into entrepreneurship actually was when I was in college and I was a photographer. And, you know, I started doing weddings and events, kind of just getting that extra income to cover my expenses. And I loved it. I'd always been into photography. So, like, when you look at 
businesses, right? Especially businesses that have a relatively easy barrier to entry. It's not like you have to have a degree or you have to have a certain number of qualifications. I always break them down into four categories. And the easiest category is being a maker, right? You take what you can do. So you take your skills, such as crochet, for example. If you can knit or crochet, you start a business selling your crocheted items. You really don't need a lot to get started, right? You need your yarn. You need your knitting needles. You can use a platform like Etsy, so you're not even building a website or something. And that's actually how my serious business, the first one was after my oldest was born. This is post-photography. And I started making organic baby bedding because I was at home. I I knew how to sew. And I needed something to do. And at that time, and I say at that time, like I'm so old, but 10 years ago. (laughs) Ages ago. Well, you know, like 10 years ago, organic bedding wasn't as common as it is now. So when we went out looking for organic bedding for our son, it was five, $600 for a crib set. And my husband was a student at the time. And I was like, there's no way we can spend $500 on organic bedding. And he had super sensitive skin. So I was like, I'm going to order a fabric from fabric.com and I'm going to make his bedding myself. And that's just what I did. And then all our friends saw it and they were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Can you make one for us? And so I started making the beddings. And my first business was called Princes and Fairies. And it was great. You know, I made a couple hundred dollars. And actually, that's how I learned how to build websites. Because six months into the business, I was like, okay, I need a website And I went and I learned how to use WordPress and I built my first website. And I realized in the process of building the website that I liked the building of the website more than I liked making of the blankets. So I was like, huh. That's really interesting. Okay, so the first option they have is a maker type business. So a product based business. Yes. And the good news is that you can start on a place like Etsy where you wouldn't even have to build your own website. I know yeah. I have a Shopify shop, which is also super easy. Or you could have a website of your own eventually if that's something that you wanted to do. But it's nice because there's going to be a pretty low barrier to entry for this one. Yeah, it's one of the easiest things you can do. And it's also a really good way of finding out if it's actually something you want to do, right? For me, it wasn't a good fit, right? Looking back, I wasn't charging enough. I was, you know, using really high quality items. And so in the end, I wasn't really making money. But what it did was it gave me this sense of purpose. I was like, hey, I can do entrepreneurship. It was kind of like, I had just, you know, dipped my toe in the pool and realized that, hey, there was a whole world of opportunity out there. I just had to find the right fit. And so when I look back at my foray into that product e-commerce type business, I don't look at it as a failure that I had ended up closing up shop. I look at it as a success because it showed me what I could and couldn't do, which was I could build a business. I just couldn't be a maker. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what did you do next? 
So the next thing I did was actually I started a web design business and it was called Design by Lumiere. And so that leads us into the second type of business that you're going to have, which is a service-based business, right? This is when you're providing a service that you are particularly skilled at, right? For me, it was web design. This is where things like becoming a VA comes into play too. Like you are very good at calendar management or you're you're really good at Pinterest or finding that specific skill that you have a very good proficiency at and then marketing that skill is an amazing way of entering this entrepreneurship world. And, you know, like the need for virtual assistance has exploded in the last, I would say, two to five years, especially with the pandemic, because now everyone is used to this whole idea of working virtually. So if you have a skill, and I know that a lot of your listeners are people who are likely moms who went to college and then they had their kids and now they're at home, but they're still educated, they're skilled, they're tech savvy to a certain extent. And there are a lot of businesses out there who need people with that skill set, who are comfortable navigating technology, who are looking to hire people to help them, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, from my businesses, we've hired all people from my Instagram following because there's so many skilled women out there that are looking to work for a company where they feel really aligned with the purpose. So they really liked what we were doing, what we were serving. If you guys have a favorite Instagram account you follow, definitely pitch yourself and what you could serve them with to them because I can guarantee most of them need help. 100%. I have a goal, which is I want my team to be 80% women and ideally 80% moms. I was a mom who so desperately wanted to do something. And it wasn't because of the money. It wasn't that I wanted to make money. It's that I wanted to have purpose. I wanted to feel like I was more than a cooking, cleaning, and diaper changing machine. I wanted something that made me feel like me. And discovering the fact that I had these skills that were marketable, that I could help people. It was incredible. It opened up my world to a version of me that I had never before anticipated. And I think to be able to support other women in that journey of self-discovery, that's one of the most rewarding things about the work that I do. Okay, tell me for this service-based business, what do you feel like are the pros and the cons of it? Okay, so the biggest pro is that you get to do something that you're good at and you get to do it remotely and you get to do it at your own pace, right? So like a lot of VAs will contract a certain number of hours and then they'll do this kind of work. Or like for me, I look at what I do, the website design and digital branding as a service-based business. We're providing a service. So we generally, when we're signing our clients, we'll sign a contract for as little as a done in a two-day website to a done in a 30-day project. But we're still working on our own terms. We're working on our own schedules and we're able to piece together the trajectory of how long it will take. So you're fairly flexible with your time. The con that I often see is that because it's a service-based business, a lot of times people end up overselling their skills. It's like, you know, back in the day when people on their resumes would be like, oh, and I can speak French fluently when they took one French class in grade four. And all they know is how to say bonjour. 
<laughs> so <laughs> I think it's important to have a lot of integrity when you're selling yourself and your services. I see people selling, you know, VA services being like, oh, I'm a Pinterest manager when all they've literally done is manage their own Pinterest account and pin recipes. And so this person who hires you is then going to expect a certain level of acumen and you don't have it. And all of a sudden, you know, you're in a position where you feel badly because obviously you misrepresented your skills and you have all that stress around, well, what am I going to do next? And it also just is from an optics perspective, it makes the entire industry look bad, right? People start questioning if it's worth hiring VAs. We have this whole thing right now where a lot of people are going overseas to hire their VAs. They're going to the Philippines and they're paying these people 3 to $4 an hour. And they're like, well, why should I pay $20 to an American VA? So there are some cons from like a perspective of, well, you know, what kind of values do you have? How are you showing up? Are you showing up in integrity? Are you showing up as your best self? Yeah. But I think like staying true in your conviction, if you're really good at something, then standing up and saying, well, hey, I'm really good at this. And you could hire somebody for $5 an hour or you could hire me and get something incredible and also feel good about the fact that you're not exploiting somebody's labor. Exactly. I was going to say, it's also for those of us that own businesses, it's about our integrity. Yes, and exactly. Paying people what they should get paid. I heard you actually call that a digital sweatshop on Tyler's interview. And that really resonated because people always say, well, $4 is a working wage in the Philippines. But wait a minute, though, that's what we're trying to get away from is paying people a lot less than they deserve to be paid. Exactly. I mean, I have a friend and you should totally get her on your podcast because she's amazing. Her name is Lindsay and her Instagram handle is Lindsay and Co. And she trains VAs. And so one of her biggest things is that she's like, we cannot justify hiring people in the Philippines for $4 an hour and be like, well, that's a living wage. Because what we're doing in that situation is that we are making sure that they stay at the bottom of that online entrepreneurship ladder. And that even as you're hitting these six and seven figure launches, using their labor and their help, they never get to go past that level because they're only getting enough to survive. And so we're literally causing oppression. <laughs> It's not right. right. And so she really helped me see it differently. Like I used to be one of those people who would be like, you know, they're still getting paid. But then now I look at it and I'm like, just because they live in a different part of the world doesn't mean their skill is worth any less. And that they may be willing to accept it, but is it fair to leverage, you know, whatever need they have and exploit that? I would much rather either pay them a fair living wage or hire someone locally, support somebody in my own economy who can build that. And, you know, this is not a judgment against people who do hire people overseas. Like, I think for a lot of us starting out, money is tight. I know that because I, you know, I went through that evolution of business. But I think you may be able to grow with your VAs, your overseas VAs, right? Where you may hire them at five or $6 an hour. But as your business grows, give them those increases, right? Give them the bonuses, give them the holiday bonuses, give them, try and even it out as a starting point. And as soon as you are financially able, pay them well. 
because they are an integral part of helping you build your business. And you can do it. And I think when you do that, you're also going to find that the way they show up in your business changes too because they have more loyalty and they have more investment. But yeah. sorry, I totally went off topic. Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. About this. Okay. So we have covered product-based. We've covered service-based. What are the two other kinds of online businesses that women could start? Soon? So the next one is a course. So this is, we're getting into education and coaching now, right? Again, courses nowadays, the barrier to entry is actually really low because there are just so many options out there to create a course, to host a course. People are making courses about everything. I just was listening to a podcast the other day and this person was talking about how one of her students created a course on matting photos. You know how Nowadays, we hardly ever print photos. And so this person created an entire program on how to print and mat and hang photos so that they're no longer part of your digital graveyard. They're up on your walls and you see them and you enjoy them. And she said she had her first launch and she made 40K. Wow. it's, It's amazing, right? If you think about it practically, you're like, wait, someone paid for that? But the reality is that we all live in a super, super high-stress, busy lifestyle, right? We are all just always on the go. You're a mom. I'm a mom. We know what it's like. Today, our interview was delayed 30 minutes because one of my friends was in an accident and I had to go help her out. Things come up all the time. So we don't have time to be sitting there YouTubing how to do stuff. Creating courses that fulfill a very specific need is a really great idea to start making some income. I'm trying to get a little bit more healthy, so I've been working out. And one of the courses I bought recently was just a breakdown of how to use gym equipment. And it's eight modules And literally, they just show you all these gym machines and how to use it. Not what exercises you can do, but literally how to use it, how to switch out the plates, how to add the little handles. And like it was like one of those tiny offers. So it was like $39, but it was literally the best 40 bucks I have spent ever (laughs) because now I walk in the gym and I'm like, oh, I know how to do this. I know how to use that machine. I'm not nearly as intimidated. So courses are a really great way to start making some income, start leveraging that knowledge, that skill, that information that you have. You know what you're really skilled at when your friends and your community and the people who know you always come to you for questions on that, right? Everyone has that one thing. It could be makeup. It could be skincare. It could be Instant Pot recipes. It could be how to use gym equipment. It could be how to mat photos, (laughs) I think this one is really interesting because I can sense that people listening might be like, who would buy that? But the examples you just gave, we know they are selling. So what, if any, do you feel are the cons of courses? One of the cons, I think, is that people get caught up in having all their tech lined up instead of going in, starting off basic, and then building up their tech stack. They're like, oh, I need to have Kajabi and pay $200 a month for Kajabi. And then I need to have active campaign and pay $100 for active campaign. And I need lead pages. I think if you're starting out with a course, the very best advice I can give you is 
start off simple. You can start off as simple as a PayPal buy button and a Facebook group. Don't get distracted by all the shiny options out there. Actually do proof of concept, right? Launch a beta version of your course. Keep it super simple. Keep it super basic. You can even launch a course by creating YouTube videos and making them unlisted so only the people with the link can watch them. Have a private Facebook group and then do Facebook Live videos and teach, you know, a module a week or something. But actually get that proof of concept to make sure that this is something that people are interested in, that are willing to buy it. Get some feedback from your beta testers to see you know, what was good, what was bad. And then once you have your proof of concept and you've done a couple of those basic launches, then you foray into like the first tier options like Member Vault, which is as little as $40 a month. Thrivecart just released a course platform that if you have Thrivecart, you get it for free. And Thrivecart, I think for a lifetime deal is $400. So you know, look at all your options. Just because the people that you really respect in the industry use Kajabi or Thinkific or Teachable doesn't mean you have to start there, right? Don't take someone's middle as your starting point and be like, I have to do this because so-and-so does that. Start small, prove your concept, build your, you know, retention, build your loyalty, get those testimonials, get that social proof, and then you go and you build, you know, better videos and all that. But just yes. get started. I love what you're saying there. That's exactly what we have coming up at Pursuing Her Purpose. In January, we're going to launch a beta and go from there. So you guys will see us do this. And I love what you're saying because I think it's so easy to take a course from Amy Porterfield or someone that's been doing it for 10 years and get kind of intimidated by how well things are put together. But for those of us that are just starting out, prove the concept first and then understand that where you start doesn't have to be where you end. So you can just improve it from there. Absolutely. I mean, I say this as someone who did things not the right way in that, you know, when I initially started out, I was like, I need Kajabi. And I need lead pages. And all of a sudden, I had a monthly bill of over $600 for tech. And I sold $100 worth of courses. You're like, wait a minute. I was like, wait, this, 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 isn't, this isn't what I was expecting. And, you know, again, it's trial and error. And I think the best thing about building community and being in community with other women who've done this before is learning from their mistakes and not making those same mistakes. If your goal is to be super sleek and sexy, then yeah, by all means, go and get all those high-end platforms. But if your goal is to serve, create transformations, and to build a sustainable income for your family, then you have to be much more conscious of how you're in, where you're investing in your business. And Prove the concept, build the foundation, and then you keep building it, right? You know, my mom always used to say, and it drove me crazy. She's like, Taj Mahal wasn't built in one day. You know, they had to lay down the foundation first, and then they had to build the minarets. And I haven't been to the Taj Mahal, so I don't know what it looks like. But 
looks beautiful from afar. I know. I've seen pictures. It's amazing. (laughs) But like, you know, it wasn't built in a day. So you lay the foundation first. You prove your concept. You build out your core structure. And then, yeah, for sure, go and invest in all those amazing recording qualities. But there is nothing stopping you from starting out with just Loom videos and Facebook Lives and having a closed group and a PayPal buy button. And I know of people, you guys, I kid you not, I recently built a website for a client and she made her first $200,000 literally with a closed Facebook group, a single page WordPress website. And yeah, she made $200,000 just selling with the PayPal buy button in a Facebook group where every week she would go live and talk about a different topic. And people were throwing their money at her because she was bringing value, she was creating transformations, and she was teaching something so actionable that anyone could do it. I love that. So for me, the big lesson there was don't overcomplicate it before you need to. Okay, so we have covered a product-based business. We've covered a service-based business. We've covered courses. What is the last online business option you have for us? We have recurring revenue through memberships. And this is something that the whole world is heading towards. So it's a very attractive option, but it also has a bunch of cons that we're going to talk about. Amy, I think you're a little bit younger than I am. But when I was younger, you had to buy Microsoft, right? Every year, like you would have to go and upgrade Word to like Word 97 and Microsoft Word 2000 and so on and so forth. Now you pay a monthly or annual subscription, right? The world is headed towards a subscription-based model. Whether you look at Netflix, whether you look at Stitch Fix type subscription boxes, it's an easy way to build consistent income, right? When you have a course, for example, if you're only you know selling your course during launches, then your income kind of ebbs and flows because there will be peaks when you're launching and then there will be like, you know, the dips when you're not launching. Whereas with a subscription-based bottle, like when you have a membership, you know what to expect every month. So it's a very consistent flow of income. And that's a very attractive option for most business owners, right? Because then it allows you to budget and kind of forecast what's happening in the next few months. And it's not as kind of ambiguous. But Uh, memberships are also a lot of work because these people are paying you X amount of money every month for a specific product or a service or even a community. And so you have to make sure that you're delivering. So there's a much higher turnover in memberships. If you look at percentages, there is fewer people asking for refunds on courses than there are people who are canceling memberships or asking for refunds on memberships. And it's just a function of different expectations. But memberships and recurring revenue, so subscription boxes and ConvertKit recently launched a thing where you can pay for a newsletter. It's a paid newsletter option. So like people can sign up for $5 a month and they get a special newsletter Patreon is another option of subscription-based income where people can commit to paying $2 or $3 a month to support their favorite creators. There's a lot of options out there for subscription-based businesses. You know, that was my foray into teaching and coaching. And I created a membership called Happily Mombership. 
And it was a membership to help support moms who wanted to kind of live their best lives. And they were tired of feeling overwhelmed and exhausted. And they wanted to, you know, feel filled with purpose and all of that. And for me, I realized that the reason the membership model didn't work so well was because I took on the burden of their transformation, if that makes sense. So when we would do these coaching calls and I would give them all this advice and then it wouldn't work for them, I felt so personally responsible. Like I was getting burnt out by all that sense of responsibility because I was like, I told her this and it works for me, but it didn't work for her and I tried to coach her. And my husband was like, said, this is not going well. You're stressed out all the time. You're like, yeah, so, I've got to transform all these women's lives. And that's exactly what it was, right? Like I felt so much responsibility that these people were paying me and I couldn't divorce myself from their results. And I bet you, if we go back and we talk to like a lot of these women, they were like, oh, we loved it. But I felt yeah. awful the whole time. So you have to have a very specific mindset to run a successful membership. And I had also overpromised and undercharged. So I think my membership was like $29 a month. And I was doing like twice a week coaching calls. And they were getting workbooks. And, you know, there were guest coaches. It was insane. And yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. remember showing my plan to a mentor after I closed the membership. And she was like, all of that for $29? I said, yeah. And she's like, you know, you're, you know why you burnt out, right? And I said, I know. It, it was sounds just, like you have a tendency to undercharge. I do have a tendency to undercharge. And I think I've, I've been doing a lot of self-work and thought work lately. And one of the things that I'm learning to discover is that we as women are taught from a very early age, we're socialized to be very apologetic, right? We shouldn't take up too much space physically and emotionally. And like, I think we try and shrink ourselves. And so undercharging in my world was a way of making myself less conspicuous. It was kind of like, I don't want to cause any ripples and waves. And I don't want people to be like, who does she think she is charging X amount of money? I actually recently built a website. We're actually delivering it this week for Jennifer from Your Everyday Style. She's amazing. If there's any moms on here who are looking for style tips, you guys have to go check her out. But I, she said to me, she's like, you should be charging $10,000 for this website. And I was like, I love you. <laughs> but it's probably true. Uh I mean, it's an amazing website and I do think I should be charging $10,000. But you know, like when she said that, I got this lump in my throat because I was like, if I go out there and I pitch a $10,000 website, someone's going to look at me and say, oh my gosh, who do you think you are charging $10,000 for a website? So yes, I do have a problem with undercharging and I'm working on breaking down the reasons and the constructs that I have in my brain that made me think that I should undercharge because I know what I do. I deliver amazing value. And I think by charging what I'm worth, I'm not only able to even invest more of myself in the project because I'm like, yeah, I, I don't feel any resentment towards the fact that I'm working so hard. But then also I can pass that forward. When I get paid more, I can pay the people who work with me more. I can give them bonuses. I can, you know, contribute to my community, my local community, donate to, you know, causes that I'm invested in. 
shop at small businesses. There's like this whole ripple effect that happens when you charge your worth. There really is. I was just able to tell one of my employees that she was getting a 12-week maternity leave full paid. Oh, that is so exciting started crying because oh. it took such a load off of her shoulders. Oh. And so when I think about women-owned businesses, that's what women will do. It's been proven women do good things with money. So we have to make money to be able to do those things. So I hope that those listening are really soaking in the idea of if we charge enough, we can pass it down to other women and make the world that we really want to live in. I recently read a book by this author, Judith Gatton, and the book is How to Be an Effing Lady. And The title, I was like, I would never read that if I saw it in a bookstore. But someone had recommended to me, and I read it. And she said something so profound in that book. She said, confident women go out there and create opportunities that change the world. And it's so true. When you stand in your power, when you show up as yourself, when you charge what you're worth, and you go out there and you create those transformations You can change the world by things like offering someone a paid maternity leave, by helping raise somebody's wage so that they can go back to school. You can do so much. And all of it starts with you showing up and saying, here is what I charge because this is what my skill is worth. And this is the transformation I can bring for you. Yes. Okay, so we covered the four different types of online businesses that people could start. And now I want to get into something a little bit more personal. So I know that just like me, you have three boys at home. I do. And it is safe to say that we both have experienced the challenges that women entrepreneurs face. I know that there's people out there and they say, if a guy or if a dad is an entrepreneur, we don't call him a dadpreneur. But I think you and I both agree entrepreneurship as a female, especially as a mom, has its unique challenges. I want to know what you think are the biggest challenges that moms face. I had someone say that to me one time. They're like, why do you use the term mompreneur? Like, don't you feel like it's sexist? And I said to her, the last time I traveled without my kids, I was sitting on the airplane and this really sweet old lady sitting across the aisle from me looked at me and she's like, oh, do you have any children? And I said, oh, yes, I have three boys. And she's like, oh, who's watching them? And my husband, for the first six years of her marriage, he was a consultant and he traveled every week. And you guys, can I tell you, not once In all those years, did anyone ever ask him who is watching his children? So there is this expectation and a reality that mothers are the primary caregivers, right? And moms don't just take care of, you know, the things like the cooking and the cleaning and all of that. A lot of that you can outsource. But it's also the mental load of parenting, oh, you know, Adam needs socks for his spirit day that need to be orange and he needs them for this date. You know, moms carry about 70 to 80% of that mental load in most families. There are lots of families 
that are different where, you know, the division's a little bit more equitable. But in most cases, one of the parents will take on the larger part of that responsibility. So to balance that with running a business is very challenging, right? You know, my husband, he has his basement office and the whole time through the pandemic, he was working. So in the morning, he'd wake up, he'd have his breakfast, he'd feed the kids, and then he could go downstairs to the basement, close the door, and he could focus on work and get his work done until five o'clock. When I work, it's like, you know, every 20 minutes, it's like, mom, I can't find my mom, 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 I need a snack, <laughs> mom. And like, you know, I have had so many meetings where I'm pitching a very important project. And like my little one would be like, I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> That's just the reality of being a mom entrepreneur. My kids, at least, will 80% of the time come to me with these needs. They won't go to their dad, even if their dad is home and available. And if he's just working in the basement and not in a meeting, they'll still come to me. And I think a lot of moms have the same dynamic in their families, right? They're the primary caregiver. They're the primary person that their children come to. So for a lot of mom entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship is a balancing act. And that in itself is challenging. There is nothing in the world like building a business and raising children. Your business becomes an additional child that you're nurturing as you're nurturing your human children. Mm -hmm. And that's one reason why moms make incredible entrepreneurs because they're so good at that balancing act. But that is also the reason that way they have so many more challenges compared to people who don't have children or even compared to some men who are dads but don't have that emotional and mental load that they carry alongside their parenting. Yeah, it's not quite the same. Okay, and because we're both moms, we have a hard stop coming up here, but I wanted to get one more question in. Yeah. You and I have kind of the same view about women making an income. For me, it's really important because I grew up in a, lower middle-class family that lived paycheck to paycheck. So for me, there's a security in making my own money that I really like. Can you talk about why you think it's important for women to have the ability to earn money? A hundred percent. So I was a child. I mean, I am not was. I am a child of immigrants, right? My parents moved to Canada from Saudi Arabia when I was six. And I grew up seeing my parents build their, literally rebuild their life from scratch. They had four kids and they were incredible in never making us feel like, you know, we we were lacking something. But I mean, you know, we, for back to school, we would get one new shirt and think we were so lucky, right? So for me, I think one thing that just resonates so strongly is that I know my parents so desperately wanted to give us opportunities that they couldn't. Like, I got accepted at Harvard, and I couldn't go because we couldn't afford it. And I know that that's something that they carry with them and think, you know, if if only. One of the, the reasons why I'm so passionate about making money as a woman is that I want to be able to contribute to my family being able to do things that we may not otherwise have been able to afford, right, on a single-income family. 
And that can include extracurricular activities for the kids. It can include opportunities for them to do things like go on vacations that we wanted and just contribute financially to our family's well-being and have my boys see that, that their dad and I are Mm -hmm. both working to help move our family forward. And the other thing is I think women who are financially solvent are much less likely to feel trapped in situations because they have that cushion that gives them the opportunity to break away from toxic relationships. You know, it gives them that safety net of leaving marriages that may be abusive. It gives them, you know, the sense of safety when it comes to raising their children. God forbid, if the worst happens and like, you know, they lose their partner, there is a lot of security in knowing that you are able to create wealth on your terms and if you need to, you have, you know, you have a nest egg or you have money that you can rely on when push comes to shove. Exactly. Yeah. That resonates so deeply with me in something that, like I said, I honestly like the security of it. And I don't think I'm alone in that. No, I feel like the dynamic in my marriage, the way I showed up changed so much when I started bringing in, when I started making money. And it wasn't about it wasn't a power dynamic. It's that I showed up differently as an individual because I was more sure of myself. I was a better partner to my husband prior to having a successful business. I I mean, I've always been a spender. So I love buying stuff like Amazon, like all the (laughs) Amazon drivers and UPS people know our address. But you know, it made me much more conscious about how hard it is to earn money. So I was much nicer to my husband when he'd be like, Hossa, do you really think we need 10 deliveries from Amazon a day? I wasn't nearly as defensive about that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because I was like, no, I get it. It's hard to make money. And I just, it improved our marriage so much from the perspective that I, I understood his challenges And I think it took a little bit of the stress off his shoulders too, right? Like now he knows we've been able to build an investment portfolio with that second income. He feels better because he knows that we're safe. And I feel better because I know we're safe and secure and financially solvent. And for both of us, that's... That just changes the dynamic of our marriage. We're much more easygoing people when we don't have that stress. Financial stress is so real and it's one of the main reasons people get divorced. So it's definitely a relevant topic. On this podcast, we like to get super tangible. So the last question I'm going to ask you, this is for sure the last one. Can you talk about how you make working motherhood work? What systems do you have in place? Are there places where you hire out, whether that's in your business or in your home life? We would love to hear how you do this. Absolutely. So one thing is we have a weekly housekeeper. She has been coming every week since my second was born. And she has changed my life because I know once a week my house is going to get a deep clean and the rest of the week I just have to maintain. And that's such a load off my shoulder. So that's number one. If you can afford to get a housekeeper, 100% 
do that. Number two is my husband and I really sat down one day and we were like, let's make this work because we were running into a situation where I was feeling upset because I felt like I had to do all the work and then he wasn't supporting me. And we kept getting into like these tiffs, right? So one day we both sat down and we're like, let's make this work. And so we realized that I'm a night owl. I can be up till 3 a.m. without batting an eyelash. And he's a morning bird. He wakes up at 5.30 without an alarm clock. I don't even understand how anyone can do that. But so we decided to play to our strengths. So now what we do is he's the morning parent and he takes care of the kids' drop-offs, the lunches, all of that. And I'm the nighttime parent and I stack my meetings between noon to three, which is, you know, when our toddler naps and he's starting school next year so. I'll have more of a work day. But for now, like, you know, I stack my meetings between noon to 3 when he naps. And then I stack my work from 10 to 2 a.m. And so I go to bed at around 2.15, 2.30. And I wake up around 9. And by the time I wake up, you know, the kids are at school. It's only my toddler and I. He wakes up around the same time. We have the morning to ourselves. And then when he naps... Around one is when I do all my meetings and like this podcast interview. And, you know, once a week we'll eat out. So on Wednesdays, this is when our housekeeper comes, we eat out. So that way our kitchen's clean for like two days. And on the weekends, I have made it a policy that I will no longer work weekends unless it's an emergency. So on the weekends, we take care of, you know, the big tasks, like if yard work needs to be done or the kids need Halloween costumes and stuff. Because one of the things that I would caution all of you aspiring mom entrepreneurs is this. You want to build a business that works with your life, not that takes over your life. Like, you know, the best thing about being a mom entrepreneur is that you get to be home with your kids and you get to make money. That's all great. But if you're working all the time and you're not actually spending time with your kids and you're only your physical body's there, but your brain is elsewhere kind of cataloging all the things that you do, then you're doing a disservice to yourself and you're missing out on like this amazing part of your children growing up, right? So give yourself that downtime, schedule it in. I have time blocked where I don't do work and weekends is one of them. And then I outsource. So I have a VA who manages my inbox. We work with a professional graphic designer for all our branding clients. So her and I will brainstorm concepts and then she goes and does it. We have one tech person who does the really super techie stuff for the websites. I can do tech, but not as deep as that. So I've I've leveraged, you know, other people's skills. So I don't feel like I have to do all the things myself. So for me, I think, you know, the three systems that work is outsource what you can, batch whatever's left, and then block off time, block your calendar so that you have specific times where you're doing certain tasks and then make sure that you add downtime in there. I love those. Uh, This has been an absolute pleasure and incredibly insightful. I know that our listeners are so going to appreciate all the wisdom that you brought. So please let everyone listening know where they can find more of you. 
Yeah. So I'm on Instagram. My handle is happily Hafsa. My kids say that that's like my alter ego because I'm not that happy in person. <laughs> I think I'm that super happy person. <laughs> um, and you can find me on my website at www.happilyhafsa.com. And if you're someone who is looking for a website, I'd love to chat. Even if we're outside your budget, I know lots of website designers who are starting out who would love to have you as a client. So reach out and I'd love to point you in the right direction. Okay. And if you guys like this episode, we'd be absolutely honored if you shared it in your Instagram story, tagging, pursuing her purpose and happily Hafsa. <laughs>